0: section thirty six of life of john churchill duke of marlborough by louise Creighton. this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter seventeen the fall of marlborough part one in england the secret of the peace negotiations at last came out on october thirteenth seventeen eleven the daily current published the preliminaries of peace which had been arranged between ménager and the ministers a copy had been given to count gallus the imperial minister and he in his indignation at the way in which the claims of his master were treated in the preliminaries sent the document which had been communicated to him on terms of the strictest secrecy to the daily current the ministers could visit their displeasure on gallus by dismissing him ignominiously from the court but it was more difficult to undo the evil effect of a premature disclosure of their plans a host of whig pamphleteers urged on by the duchess of marlborough and the whig leaders attacked the government and the proposed peace with extreme virulence the ministers annoyed by these attacks did their utmost to suppress the whig writers st john boasted to the queen that he had found out fifteen and seized thirteen The government could not be expected to be as vigorous in their punishment of the libels published on their opponents. Marlborough had not learnt to bear with patience the attacks made upon him. His conduct of the last campaign had been violently criticised. Men and treasure were said to have been wasted on nothing. Crossing the enemy's lines at Bouchain was compared to crossing a kennel. Marlborough, in the bitterness of his spirit, wrote to the ministers to complain speaking of these attacks as giving him a mortal wound oxford answered in a tone of lofty superiority saying as i know i am every week if not every day in some libel or other so i would willingly compound that all the ill-natured scribblers should write ten times more against me upon condition they would write against nobody else but more serious accusations awaited marlborough than those of ill-natured scribblers when he went to the hague after having settled his troops in winter quarters the english government had appointed commissioners to inquire into the expenditure of the late government sir solomon medina the contractor for the supply of bread to the army in the netherlands when examined before these commissioners had stated that he had paid privately into the hands of the duke of marlborough a large sum every year for his own use the duke was therefore loudly accused of having enriched himself at the expense of the public as soon as he heard the accusations that were made against him he drew up a brief vindication of his conduct and sent it to the commissioners in a few words he stated that in taking this sum he had only followed the example of previous commanders in the netherlands and that he had used it for secret service to get intelligence of the enemy's motions and designs he then stated of his own accord that he had been allowed by the princes belonging to the grand alliance to deduct two and a half per cent from the pay of the troops contributed by them to be employed in the same manner and he added that next to the blessing of god and the bravery of the troops most of the advantages of the war might be attributed to the timely and good advices procured with the help of this money marlborough soon followed this letter to england and landed at Greenwich on the 17th of November. But he did not go on at once to London, for the 17th was the anniversary of the day on which Queen Elizabeth had come to the throne, and it was the custom to keep it in London by burning the effigies of the Pope, the Devil, and the Pretender, and the Duke did not wish to be mixed up in any riots that might occur in consequence. The government, indeed, got up a story, That the whigs were going to make this day the occasion for a popular disturbance which they circulated diligently from their desire to make the whigs appear the enemies of public order they called out troops to protect the city seized the effigies which were to have been burnt and published a long account of the pretended plot giving out that nothing but their precautions had stopped a serious disturbance Marlborough did not hesitate, when he came to London, to remonstrate firmly with the Queen about the preliminaries of peace. The Whigs were delighted to find that they were sure of his support, as they were beginning to hope for a return to power. The government attacked the financial management of Godolphin, but Robert Walpole, formerly Secretary for War, published a vigorous pamphlet showing the falseness of the charges brought against Godolphin, which produced considerable impression. This and other Whig pamphlets had done something towards shaking the credit of the government. The Whigs also managed to profit by the discontent of the extreme Tories, who had never looked with favour upon Oxford's government. A number of Tory peers with Nottingham at their head promised to support the Whigs in their opposition to the peace, if the Whigs would refrain from opposing the occasional conformity bill, and to gain the support of the extreme Tories, the Whigs were willing to conclude this bargain and sacrifice their principles. At this time, whilst the preliminaries of peace were being attacked from all sides, and even the elector of Hanover roused himself to remonstrate warmly with the English government, Swift did the ministry a service which assisted more than anything else the progress of the peace. He published one of his ablest political pamphlets called The Public Spirit of the Allies, in which he showed forth with great vigour and much truth the selfishness of the conduct of the Allies during the whole course of the war. He pointed out that the English were fighting for allies who all of them had far more either to gain or to lose by the war than England had, and that yet, the chief burden of the war had all along been thrown upon England, that England had always contributed more and more men and money, whilst the Allies had continually neglected to furnish their share and had broken their most solemn obligations. He showed that England had fought long enough for selfish and ambitious Allies, and that it would be folly to continue the war in the vain hope of turning the Bourbons out of Spain. This pamphlet, produced a powerful effect it was published on november twenty seventh and swift wrote to stella that it made a world of noise a second edition was called for on the thirtieth of november a third on the second and a fourth on the sixth of december parliament met on december sixth and the queen in her speech from the throne stated that notwithstanding the arts of those who delight in war both time and place are appointed for opening the treaty of a general peace. Afterwards, Nottingham began the attack upon the Ministry, violently blamed the preliminaries, and proposed the insertion of a clause into the address stating that no peace could be safe which left Spain and the West Indies in the hands of the Bourbons. The debate proceeded with much heat on either side. Marlborough did not speak till directly attacked by Lord Anglesey, who said that peace might have been made after Romilies had it not been deferred by some persons whose interest it was to prolong the war? Then he at once rose and with great dignity defended himself from this charge, appealing to the queen who was present to support his statement that he had always laid every proposal for peace before her and her council, while he affirmed with the greatest solemnity that he had always desired a safe honourable and lasting peace my great age he added and my numerous fatigues in war make me ardently wish for the power to enjoy a quiet repose in order to think of eternity he ended by objecting to the preliminaries of peace on the ground that europe could not be safe as long as spain and the west indies were in the hands of the bourbons In the upper house, the Whigs, with the extreme Tories, had a majority, and Nottingham's clause was carried by 64 to 52, though a similar clause in the Commons was lost by 106 to 232. The conduct of the peers threw the government into great embarrassment. Their friends gave up everything for lost, for at this time they were again uncertain of the feelings of the Queen. Anne was still very fond of Mrs. Masham, but she was also very fond of the Duchess of Somerset, who was a Whig, and every one feared that the Duchess had gained over Anne to the cause of the Whigs. Swift was in despair. He begged Oxford to give him a secretary's place abroad, that he might be safe from the vengeance of his enemies, the Whigs, when they returned to power. The ministers were supposed to be going to resign in a week, and through it all, oxford remained as smiling and easy as possible he conferred constantly with mrs masham sitting as swift has it and settling the affairs of the nation with her and promised the agonised swift that all would be well the conduct of the duke of marlborough who had supported the whigs with zeal in their opposition to the peace preliminaries determined oxford to cherish no more fond hopes that he might be persuaded at last to join heartily with the government The commissioners who had before brought forward their charge of peculation against the Duke were now bidden to report their proceedings to the members of Parliament. To clear himself publicly from the charges brought against him, Marlborough caused the letter which he had written from The Hague on the subject to be published in the Daily Current, and as it produced a considerable impression, two days afterwards, on the 29th December, the ministers had the report printed in the same paper in this way they prepared the public for what was to follow on the thirtieth of december swift writes to stella the duke of marlborough was at court to-day and nobody hardly took notice of him the next day there was a cabinet council at which the queen appeared and ordered the following note to be made in the council book being informed that an information against the duke of marlborough was laid before the house of commons by the commissioners of the public accounts Her Majesty thought fit to dismiss him from all his employments, that the matter might have an impartial examination. The official newspaper, the Gazette, contained the news that evening, and at the same time stated that the Queen had been pleased to create twelve new peers. Oxford and Mrs. Masham had once more gained over Anne, by persuading her that they alone could save her from falling again under the hated dominion of the Whigs by this large creation of peers amongst whom was mrs masham's husband the government obtained a majority in the upper house the queen wrote to the duke herself to announce his dismissal in the same tone that she had written to godolphin under like circumstances complaining of the ill-treatment she had received in a fit of indignation the duke threw the letter into the fire he wrote a proud and dignified answer madam i am very sensible of the honour your majesty has done me in dismissing me from your service by a letter of your own hand though i find by it that my enemies have been able to prevail with your majesty to do it in the manner that is most injurious to me and if their malice and inveteracy against me had not been more powerful with them than the consideration of your majesty's honour and justice they would not have influenced you to impute the occasion of my dismission to a false and malicious insinuation, contrived by themselves and made public when there was no opportunity for me to give in my answer. He ends by saying, and it is not my opinion only, but the opinion of all mankind, that the friendship of France must needs be destructive to your Majesty i wish your majesty may never find the want of so faithful a servant as i have always endeavoured to approve myself to you the tories felt somewhat anxious as to the result of these vigorous steps swift wrote to stella if the ministry be not sure of a peace i shall wonder at this step and do not approve it at best the queen and lord treasurer mortally hate the duke of marlborough and to that he owes his fall however it be the world abroad will blame us i confess my belief that he has not one good quality in the world beside that of a general and even that i have heard denied by several great soldiers but we have had constant success in arms while he commanded opinion is a mighty matter in war and i doubt the french think it impossible to conquer an army that he leads and our soldiers think the same and how far even this step may encourage the french to play tricks with us no man knows The creation of the twelve new peers was taken more calmly by the Whigs than the Tories had dared to hope. Indeed, they could do nothing but submit, and no notice was taken except that when they first appeared in the House, Wharton sarcastically asked whether they were to vote singly or by their foreman. On the 24th of January, 1712, the Commons proceeded to consider the report against the Duke of Marlborough, and resolutions were passed stating that his taking money from the contractors was unwarrantable and illegal, and that the two and one-half per cent deducted from the money for the foreign troops ought to be accounted for. Marlborough's friends urged him to appear in the House of Commons and answer the charges brought against him, but he thought this beneath his dignity, and contented himself with allowing a vindication of his conduct, which entirely answered the charges, to be drawn up and circulated he showed that the bread-money had always been received by the commander-in-chief in in the netherlands and that the two and a half percent was a free gift to the general from the princes to whom the subsidies were paid and that he had had a royal warrant allowing him to accept it the money had been used for secret service and never before had the secret service been so admirably managed unfortunately marlborough had such a reputation for avarice that even this complete vindication could not quite undo the effect of the charges which had been made against him the ministers however made no attempt to answer his vindication and they found it impossible to carry their prosecution of him any further but his secretary mr cardinal was expelled from the house of commons because he had received an annual gratuity from the bread contractors these proceedings were actuated The bitter party feeling of the Tories, who desired, now they were in power, entirely to crush their opponents. They went on to consider the conduct of the Allies and censured the Dutch for not having supplied the troops and money promised by them. They declared the barrier treaty to be an infamous compact, and Lord Townsend and those who had signed it to be enemies to the Queen and Kingdom. of section 36.